Jonathan's living room, and now you guys are in a building, and I haven't failed seminary yet, so God has sustained uh, both of us through the past couple of years. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Philippians 2. Um, our text uh, this morning, um, we're focusing on verses 3 through 11, uh, but I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, for the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come uh, to your word, uh, we do come with fear and trembling, knowing what marvelous and wonderful truths are within this book, the truths that are too wonderful for us to truly comprehend. Lord, as we search your scriptures this morning, I pray that you would give us humble hearts and listening ears, uh, that this would not just be an exercise in knowledge, Lord, but that sinners would come from here changed. That anyone who came into this room this morning not truly knowing you might leave with new life and a new heart. And that those here who know you, that you might be further transformed into the image of your Son, who will be sanctified in our hearts. Lord, may your truth reign this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, when I told my, my wife that I was uh, preparing a, a message on humility, I had told her that it was because I have this in the bag, because I have conquered humility so well, it made me qualified to speak on it. And she paused. And then she asked if I was joking about it. And so, if that's any idea, it shows you how far I still have to go, because she thought that I might actually say that and mean it. Um, so that, that was humbling, uh, before I even really got into it. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, everything that I, I say this morning, I, I say as a fellow surgeon and, and traveler on this road as we pursue uh, Christ. Uh, this is not a, a message uh, because of how humble I am, but it's a message because of how much I, I need this message myself. Uh, so in, in the book of Philippians, uh, one of the themes of the letter that we see is unity. Uh, we see this as, as Paul builds towards the, the final chapter of the book, and uh, he exhorts the church, uh, between two members of the church, to, to have unity, to cease uh, fighting that had been going on. And so uh, we see as he's uh, building towards that, he starts talking about humility, because without humility, you cannot have unity. Without humble hearts in the body of Christ, that is when you have factions and divisions. And so in order to have unity within the church, a prerequisite for that is to have 
humility. You can see how important unity is to Paul um, by looking at uh, the verses just preceding what we'll be looking at this morning. And in verses uh, 1 through 3, he says, And I'll count, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection in love, he says all these things are true. And in light of all of this, Paul says, complete his joy by having unity. And so Paul says, all of these things are true, and I rejoice in those. Complete my joy by having unity. He will not be pleased, he will not be happy and joyful with the church if they have all those things, and yet they do not have unity. And to have that unity, they must have humility. And so that is the launching pad for what we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, one thing that I thought might be helpful uh, before we get into the text is to define uh, what we're talking about. Uh, when we say humility, you know, it's a word that gets thrown around uh, a lot in terms of uh, scriptures. Uh, what do we mean when we say uh, humility? Uh, one, uh, two, two helpful verses. You don't need to turn there. The first one is John 3.30. Uh, you have uh, John the Baptist, and he says, I must, uh, excuse me, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so the first example we have, humility, biblical humility, is that which puts Christ's glory, puts God's glory above our own glory and above our own interests. Humility is that which sees God's glory as preeminent and our glory as meaningless. Um, a second uh, verse, John 15, 5, says, I am the vine, this is Christ talking, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so another element of biblical humility is a recognition that we are unable. We are unable to do anything of our own. We are completely dependent upon God for his grace. Um, if, if I can quote uh, my pastor back at uh, Grace Community in Jacksonville. Uh, he's been working through uh, the book of John for the past few years. He says, humility is honestly assessing yourself and living in view of the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the grace provided at the cross. So let, me, let me read that for you one more time. It says, humility is honestly assessing yourself and living in view of the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the grace provided at the cross. And so with, with that in mind, with that definition in mind of what we're talking about when we say Humility. Uh, let's let's turn our attention to the text that we have today. Um, huh, pardon me, got my notes out of order. It's always always helpful to go from from one to three and not from two to one to three. Um, uh, but it, this this would be helpful. Um, a couple examples of of pride, um, just just so we have something to compare in terms of biblical humility. Um, on the contrast. Some obvious examples of pride. Um, one, we start with uh, Narcissus. He was a, a Greek mythological character. And uh, Narcissus fell in love with his own reflection in a pool. And then he turned into a flower uh, because it's Greek mythology and those kinds of things happen in Greek mythology. Um, he's the one we get the word uh, narcissism from. Uh, another example uh, from history, Alexander the Great uh, conquered all of the, the known world, and then he cried because there was nothing left for him to conquer. He did not cry at the, the perhaps 
tens of thousands of, of men that died under his watch, but he cried when he felt that he couldn't attain any more glory for himself. Um, and, and one more uh, almost humorous, if it wasn't so sad, uh, example from, from recent uh, pop culture. Uh, there was a, a musical artist who berated a concert goer for not standing up to applaud him at a concert. And uh, that concert goer was in a wheelchair. And so you see the amount of, of hubris involved. And, and we look at those, and the reason I, I bring those up is because when we see something like that, it's easy to look at that and say, wow, that is a lot of pride right there. Uh, but it's hard to see the pride that's right here. It's easy when we look at others to see pride out in the world. Um, but it is, it is hard to diagnose our own hearts and to see the pride that resides uh, within us. And so just as we work through this text, it's just a helpful reminder that there's always more pride in us uh, than we know. And that itself should drive us to have humility as we come to the Word, uh, knowing that we ourselves cannot even see the depths of the sin uh, that is there. So now, uh, turning our attention to the text, uh, this morning's message is four exhortations of humility. Um, if you have your bulletin, you can see it there. Uh, the first one, in verse 3, is the command of humility. Um, and this is in a, a, a positive and a negative uh, command. Uh, the first, he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Uh, so what does it mean to do, do nothing from rivalry or conceit? Um, I am a, if you know me, uh, which actually none of you do, uh, but if you did, you would know I am a big fan of the things being simple and not overcomplicating things. And so doing nothing at all from rivalry or conceit, it means what it says. Don't do anything from rivalry or conceit. Uh, do nothing that's motivated by jealousy of somebody else or a desire for others to see good in you, uh, to exalt your own name. Uh, this word here uh, that's translated in the ESV as selfish ambition or, or selfishness in the, the NASB uh, was often used to denote, uh, quote, a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. Um, that sounds pretty relatable to our, our culture today, um, especially in light of a, an election coming up. You see how immediately the, the world resorts to putting others down so that they can look better, uh, garnering their own votes or their own popularity by making somebody else look bad. Um, and, and I think this is a very clear picture of what Paul has in mind, that he wants the church to take no part in. In the church, we're never to have that kind of, of infighting. Uh, or think back to when you were in high school, the popularity contest. Um, I was actually homeschooled, so I've never participated in that. But I've heard that in regular high schools, uh, the drama of popularity and trying to build yourself up to become popular, to become well-liked, uh, that, is, that is how the world views uh, relationships. Uh, the, the world looks at life as a, a race to get to the finish line ahead of everybody else, uh, and people are often reduced to stepping stones uh, for the ambition of those who want to finish first. Um, uh, how often have you heard the expression that God helps those who help themselves? Um, that's, that's in the Bible uh, nowhere, because uh, that's not a verse. Uh, scripture says what? Scripture says God gives grace to the, the humble. Yeah, Paul is exhorting us here that our relationships in the church are to be defined by this humility. And so let me, let me ask you this morning, as I ask myself, uh, do you try and make yourself look good at the expense of others? Or 
do you try and make yourself look good at all? Because our calling is not to exalt ourselves. It's not to seek glory. Our calling is to exalt and glorify the God who has saved us. Um, I, think, I think often, you know, we, we know, often we know in our hearts when we're, we're doing this. Uh, sometimes, though, it, it can be subtle. Uh, sometimes we might not realize uh, that we're committing the sins that, that Paul has in question here. Um, so let me ask you, what about when uh, no one's around? And so no one's going to see uh, your, your selfishness. Uh, do you still have those, those selfish motives? Uh, how often do you have a desire to have your own way? And when you don't get it, instead of saying anything, you just avoid the person that's upset you. You don't put all your selfishness out on display, uh, but you withhold forgiveness. You withhold fellowship. Uh, it might seem better on the outside, but inside it's exactly the same. Uh, or another one that I've, I've heard of, never participated in, is when you wait for someone else to apologize first because you don't want to be sorry until you know that they're sorry. Um, all of these are, are simply examples, and there could be a thousand more, of what rivalry and conceit look like within the church. And it, it, breaks, it, it broke Paul's heart thinking about believers in the church treating each other in the same way that the world treats each other. And so uh, what's the alternative? The alternative here is to count others as more significant than yourselves, something that's totally foreign to the world. Instead of acting uh, the way that's been described, view others as more important. Uh, and this really gets to the heart of what Paul wants here, because this is, is not so much something that you, you do, uh, even though it is connected to action, so much as it is something deeper. It's something that you think is your, your mindset. It's your heart. It's not just treating others, but viewing them as more important than yourself. It's, uh, it's one thing to um, view others selfishly and hide those, but it's quite another to view yourself as being the least important person in the room. Um, and, and we will come back to this uh, again a little later in the message, but true humility, it comes from having the mind of Christ. And so really the, the prerequisite to all of this is having that relationship with Christ. And so if we can just briefly pause here, anyone here who does not have that relationship, anyone who does not have that, that heart that we are given in faith by believing in Christ, the word says, um, fellow sinner, that you are, you are unable to conquer pride. You are not able to have humility because true biblical humility is something that we cannot manufacture. It is a gift from being able to rightly see our sin in light of the gospel. It is a gift by knowing Christ and seeing his glory. And so I invite you this morning as you see the, the pride that all of us have in our hearts to first come to, to Christ with the humility of faith. And from there, you, you may have true humility. Uh, but for, for the believers here who know Christ, Paul is saying that instead of acting selfishly in humility, we must count others as more significant than ourselves. So in other words, think lowly of yourself and think highly of others. Uh, one, one commentator says, for both diseases, rivalry and conceit, he brings forth one remedy, humility. 
Uh, can you imagine uh, what your, your marriage or your parenting or your workplace would look like if you were able to consistently live with this view uh, that others are more important than you, that you uh, and I, that we are, are nothing special in and of ourselves? I, I think often there's an inner narcissist that just lives in the back of our brain, always whispering things in our ears about how much better we are than everyone around us. And uh, Christ invites us to to be able to banish that, um, to banish that, that voice of pride and sin. Um, maybe a more or basic question uh, what your, your marriage or parenting would look like is, what does it look like to, to live this out in the first place? How do you practically apply uh, this kind of humility in your life? And that, that brings us to Paul's second point here, the explanation of humility in verse 4. Uh, this is the explanation of what verse 3 looks like lived out. Uh, humility in everyday life means showing care for those around you. Uh, he says uh, in his logic, if you have a low view of yourself and a high view of others, uh, then you would have no reason not to expend your own energy and resources for those around you, uh, which is why he says, uh, look out not just for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Uh, alternatively, if you look highly on yourself and you look down on others, you would see no reason to expend any resources to help others. And so this, this really shows, uh, this is the litmus test in many ways for how humble you are, how willing are you to be expended uh, for those around you. Uh, so, so two points of what it, it looks like to apply this. Um, first, let me ask you a question. How often do you look to do the minimum you can check the box that you've helped someone, uh, but you're not actually genuinely interested in helping them in their, their well-being. You just don't want to have that, that mark on your conscience that you, you pass by someone in need. Uh, true humility, it does not ask how little it can get away with. It looks to do everything to the best of its ability. Uh, secondly, we see here in, in the way that Paul lays this out that, that true humility it is always connected with action. Uh, if, I, if I can just indict all of us at once, humility that's not accompanied by action, that's called fake humility. That's called false humility. That's called pride. Uh, it's called hypocrisy, and God is not interested in it. Uh, God doesn't want us to have humility that's, that's all talk and no game. Uh, good intentions uh, don't go very far if you never follow through. Uh, the first time I preached this message, my wife was sitting right in the front seat and I had to look to the other side of the sanctuary as I said that. Good intentions that we don't act on, uh, those kinds of empty promises, that shows false humility. Um, and in this, this help that Paul is talking about, um, in this, this context, he definitely is talking about financial help, financial aid, them sending aid to other churches, some sending aid to, to him and his need. Uh, as we consider what it looks like to apply this uh, to our, our context here, uh, let, me, let me ask you, are you aware uh, this morning of the emotional and spiritual needs of those around you, of your brothers and sisters in Christ here, uh, of your spouse or of your children? Um, and if you are, uh, are you doing anything to intentionally meet those needs? Uh, are, you, are you just noticing them or are you doing something about them actively? Uh, are you available uh, to give your time uh, to those around you? Uh, do you listen well? Uh, dads, um, if I can just ask you, when you, get, when you get home from work every day, 
Is it, is it straight to the chair? Is it straight to the, the TV, to the game? Um, or does your day start when you get home? Do you expend yourself for your wife and for your children? When you're at church, are you looking for those who are hurting so that you can serve them? Or do you come just, just looking to talk to the people you already know, uh, to talk to your friends, to enjoy something but give nothing? Um, my point in, in all of these is this. Uh, the litmus test for whether or not you are humble is seen in how you act in your relationships with others. Uh, it's seen in how you treat people and how you talk to them. And so uh, as you examine your heart this morning, as you examine your life, do you see a, a growth in serving others humbly in your life? Or do you see stagnation? Do you see uh, growth in selfishness? Do you see a lack of action? And if you do, you don't despair. You look to Christ which is where we will go in this passage even with Paul. As we see our pride, the, uh, what we do in response to that is not self-help, is not to build ourselves up by pushing ourselves down. A humility is not the same as insecurity or low self-esteem. A humility is found when we look to Christ. Uh, I think uh, sometimes in theologically sound churches, uh, we might think that we're humble uh, just because we we have all of the reasons. We know all the reasons to be humble. Uh, we know why we're supposed to be humble. Uh, but Paul is saying here that our humility comes and is shown, uh, excuse me, it's not, it doesn't come from our actions. It is shown uh, by what we do, not by what we know to be true theologically. In the mind of Paul, uh, being humble and living it out, they are, they are inextricably linked. Uh, if you want to grow in expressing humility, you start by being more intentionally aware of the needs of those around you and trying to meet those needs to the best of your ability. So up to this point, uh, Paul has he's commanded us to be humble, and then he has shown us what this humility looks like in action in the church. And so uh, now, uh, if the word is, is doing its work in our hearts, we're all realizing that well, we're proud. We're all seeing, and the Spirit is convicting us, excuse me, of sin. In our hearts, uh, we are where we are proud. We are not humble. And so the question uh, that you may be asking is, in light of all of this pride, uh, in light of all of this failure to be humble, where, where do I go? What is my next a step to grow in Christ-likeness and to grow in humility? Uh, let me just read uh, for us, for, again, verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we want to know what true humility looks like. Uh, we look to uh, point three, the example of humility. We look to Christ. That, that is the, the standard uh, for what humility looks like lived out. Uh, Paul says to have this mind, he's explaining uh, that this is true humility. This is the standard. Uh, humility, uh, friends, it does not happen on its own. Uh, no one just wakes up humble. Uh, it can't be manufactured. This is not a sermon where you are to go and pick yourself up by your bootstraps when you've seen how much you lack humility. Uh, Paul says, have this mind. Uh, in the ESV, he says, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. In the NASB, he says, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Um, and there, there may be a, a nuanced difference uh, between those two translations in English, but ultimately it means the same thing. In light of our pride, as we pursue humility, we are to look to Christ, who is the, the standard, the example of humility. Paul is pointing us to Christ because we are to act the same way. We are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what does that look like? It looks like the example of God who, Christ, he did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped. Uh, this, this highlights the fact that he did not hold on to it. Uh, I think of, um, I, have, I have young children. Young children are normally not known for humility. As I, I come to my three-year-old, if he picks up something he's not supposed to have, so I take one step forward, he takes one step back, and he, you know, he gets into the football pose because he's, he's not going to give me whatever it is I'm coming to take. Christ did not hold on to what he deserved, but he gave it up freely. With Christ, it's not something that, he, that didn't belong to him, like in the case of my, my three-year-old or my five-year-old. It was Christ's birthright. It was Christ's, it is everything that he deserved for being who he is as a second member of the Trinity. Um, and this is, it says that he, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Um, and if you will, uh, pardon me, I'm going to be very close to my notes here just because this is such a, a wonderful doctrine that we, we approach with so much fear. It's so incredible. Uh, what does it mean that Christ emptied himself? Um, it doesn't mean that he became anything less than what he was before. He did not somehow set, af- set aside his divine nature and become something other than the eternally divine Son of God. Uh, he emptied himself not by pouring out portions of his, excuse me, he emptied himself not by pouring out portions of his deity, but by adding to himself full and true humanity. His was an emptying by addition, not by subtraction. Oh, that is that is how John MacArthur, um, thank you for that, I shouldn't give the credit. That is how John MacArthur defines uh, this doctrine in uh, his, his systematic theology. Uh, Christ did not lose anything in his nature, but in taking on humanity, he shows humility, and that humility is described as his becoming nothing. Uh, sometimes we can get so caught up in trying to understand and quantify everything, especially as, as good theologians in a theologically sound church, uh, that we can forget that God has revealed us uh, these things for the purpose of worship. Uh, it, is, it is a good thing to study theology, uh, but we must also always make sure that our pursuit of theology fuels our worship of God and does not simply become a pursuit of knowledge. And so uh, one, one theologian sums this up well, um, talking about this very doctrine. Uh, Wayne Grudem says, the fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite, finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. And so as we come to this incredible doctrine that the Son of God was able to take on humanity and become nothing for us, that he was able to empty himself as hard as that is to understand. Uh, the main point is not so much in understanding every nuance as it is being humbled at the incredible fact that Jesus Christ, 
through whom all things were created and have their being. He took on humanity for us. The magnitude of this doctrine that is such a mystery, uh, it shouldn't drive us to confusion. It should drive us to our knees because this thing that we can't understand took place in history for us in that Christ shows us his humility in taking on the nothingness of humanity. Uh, Imagine, if you would, a world leader uh, not just serving people in the worst city of his country, uh, but moving there. He stops showering. He has no clothes to his name except for the rags that he's pulled out of the gutter. He lives on the street not just as someone who is poor, uh, but trying to reach and serve others who live on the street. And imagine that all of these poor people that he is trying to reach and help hate him and despise him. This is nothing compared to what Christ has taken on for us. This is not even a fraction of the disparity between what Jesus deserves as king and what he took on by becoming nothing and taking on flesh. Romans 8 goes so far as to say that Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh, in no way partaking of sin, and yet looking just like sinful humanity in the likeness of our fallenness. The holy, perfect Son of God came in the likeness of his enemies who deserved only his wrath. Uh, We cannot truly understand the the level of condescension involved in this. The the world tells you to always take what you deserve. And if Christ did that, we would all be in hell right now. Uh, One author points out that in our following his example, we do not give up our rights uh, so much as we we, we simply refrain uh, from assuming to ourselves more than we ought because we have no rights. We, are, we follow Christ's example who gave up everything by not thinking that we have a right to anything. Uh, this theologian goes on to say, since then the Son of God descended from so great a height, how unreasonable that we who are nothing should be lifted up with pride. As we see the great and glorious Jesus Christ and what he accomplished in the gospel, how could we allow any, any pride to be in our hearts? You know, we have no rights in our humility. We must remind ourselves of that continually. Like humility is a, it's a constant battle. It's a constant struggle. We must constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. Uh, look with me at how verse 8 builds. Uh, the increasing uh, shock factor, if you will, of each portion of this verse And it says, Christ was found in human form, which is itself shocking. Uh, Christ Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And you think the eternal Son of God, as a man, obedient to the point of death. How unfathomable. And then, he wasn't just obedient to the point of death, but death on a cross. We need to to put ourselves in the, the minds of the original hearer's of this letter to to really understand the magnitude of what Paul is saying. Because death on a cross is not just some generic form of punishment or uh, of capital punishment. It was reserved for the worst criminals, the unmentionables, the the complete outcasts of society. That is how Christ came and died, even death on a cross. And this was something that he chose to do. Uh, Christ who commands 
armies of angels who is in absolute control for every nanosecond that he hung on the cross, volitionally put himself in that position for sinners. And in Christ's humility, he glorifies the Father. Likewise, in our own humility, uh, it is shown by our level of devotion to God's glory and that glory manifested in our lives, regardless of personal cost. Uh, Christian, do you have this type of humility in your life? Do you have a self-sacrificing humility that does not care about the cost as long as the ultimate outcome is God's glory in your life? Are you willing, like Christ, to be brought to nothing, regardless of what you may feel you deserve, if God is going to be glorified in it? Now, meeting the standard of humility in our own strength is absolutely impossible, and that in itself is humbling. We cannot be humble the way Christ is without Christ's aid and grace in our lives, uh, realizing we can't self-dependently manufacture this humility. Uh, it brings us to our, our fourth point this morning, uh, the root, the root of all of this humility. Uh, how, at its base level, do we capture this humility in our hearts? Uh, we see Christ clearly. Uh, look with me, uh, verses 9 through 11. He says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Uh, because of Christ's humble obedience, God exalted him and put him above all. Uh, for the purpose, Paul says so, so this shows us that the purpose statement of this is so that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. So this, this is where the analogy, um, this is no longer something that we are imitating. This is something that is actively humbling us. Up to this point, this is something that we imitate. We imitate Christ's humility. And now uh, we are given the fuel to be able to imitate Christ's humility by seeing his exaltation. God has given Christ the name above all names for the purpose that every knee should bow to him in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. He has comprehensive kingship that extends to the ends of the universe. And as Christ receives worship in his humility, we see that he glorifies the Father. Uh, Paul is not telling us what God will give us if we are humble. He's showing us why we need to be. When we see Christ as king, it destroys our pride. We imitate Christ's humility, and we worship him as our king. If we recognize the absolute reign of Christ, if we see his indescribable majesty, we can't help but be humbled by it. The proud heart thinks of itself as being God. The humble heart rightly recognizes its own absolute insignificance. The proud heart seeks its own glory, the humble heart seeks to give all glory to God. As we said in the beginning, humility is shown in desiring God's glory above all else. Oh, Christian, I invite you this morning to search your heart and ask yourself if you have this overwhelming desire to see God glorified in your life. As you look at your actions, as you look at your motives, as you look at your thoughts, do you see an overwhelming desire to see God glorified at any cost? Where do you see pride? Do you see selfishness? Do you see mixed motives where you're only willing to glorify God up to the point that it costs you something? 
If you want to truly unlock the key to humility, this is it. It is your passion for God's glory. If you care about God's glory, you will stop caring about yourself. Your desire to be known, your desire for self-gratification, it ends as you desire God's glory. Uh, Paul gives us this command to be humble, and then he has showed us uh, what this looks like on a practical, on a practical level. Uh, he showed us Christ's perfect example of humility that we are to imitate, and in this final section, uh, he is showing us where that humility comes from. It comes from seeing the glory of Christ on full display in the gospel. Uh, we cannot truly see Christ in this way and hold on to our pride. Uh, if you will, uh, one of Paul's zingers here uh, towards our our pride. In verse 7, he associates Christ taking on humanity with Christ becoming nothing. Beloved, you, I, we we are nothing. Christ became nothing by becoming like us. When we rightly recognize that we bring nothing to the table, we will not have the capacity for self-righteousness and pride. Uh, when we see that we do not inherently possess any rights to begin with, uh, we will not have the capacity to insist on our own way. Uh, rightly seeing our sin, and yet seeing what Christ has done on our behalf in coming to us, it should make us the most kind and loving people on the planet because we don't have an up on anybody. We are not better than anyone. We of all people understand how broken and sinful we are, and especially in light of what Christ has done in setting his love upon us, how could we not be humble? Paul says that we learn humility by looking to Christ. Uh, We learn how to be humble by imitating Christ, and we are humbled by seeing him in his exaltation. Uh, Humble actions overflow from a humble heart, and so true humility comes from walking with Christ faithfully and knowing him intimately. And the more we understand uh, the incarnation, the more we understand the gospel, uh, the more we understand our sin and Christ's glory and the humility of Christ in coming to save us, the more humble that will make us. So in, in conclusion, if you desire to grow in humility, if you desire to be obedient to the word here, look to Christ. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are, we are so grateful for the gospel, where we are so overwhelmed that, that you would send your perfect son to die on a cross for wretched sinners like us. Lord, may, may you kill our pride as we see Christ in the gospel, or as we see the glory of Christ on display. Uh, may we, in turn, glorify you and glorify him, glorify the Spirit in everything that we do, May we have no desires for recognition. Lord, may we have no desires to be insistent upon our own way. May you make us humble servants, or servants of all who have been transformed by the gospel. In Christ's name, amen.